0: Yeah, you know, I, I would say all my favorite conversations were often about bugs and really, really bad bugs. Because one Ooh. of the one of the ways to get even like the most, you know, kind of shoegazing developer yeah. to talk for hours and to like in that Howard Cosell way yeah. you know, unburden their emotional lives is to say something like, So what's what's like the worst bug you've dealt with <laughs> here?
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast for the week of November 4th. We're going to be talking quantum supremacy. We've got a great guest on, Clive Thompson, who'll be talking about his new book, Coders, and his favorite way to get developers talking, which is to ask them about the worst bug they've ever had to deal with. Here we go. This is Ben Popper. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Paul and Sarah. Say hi, everybody. Hi, Hi everybody. everybody. Paul, I was at an event last night, and Sarah was in transit because she's a champion. Mm-hmm. So she was supposed to speak at 7.15, but the plane landed at 6.50 in Newark. Yeah. So, Where is your helicopter? Yeah. I,
2: the, <laughs> the Stack Overflow helicopter is being used by our new CEO. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: that totally
3: yeah. makes sense. Um, There's room to helicopter. land it in the office.
2: Exactly.
3: <laughs> Sarah's helicopter is
1: still being prepared. It was That's like a right. custom order, it's so it's going to take a while. the community helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> I got it chrome now. Uh, the community copter. So they were like, well, Sarah was going to give this presentation, but nobody else is here. And I was like, I'll, I'll just do it. Okay, let's do it. So I gave the presentation as Sarah, which, you know, got a few laughs. It's good. And I made it halfway through. And I was basically just selling... Our Teams product. I was like, "Here's why people like it: knowledge sharing, modern this,
3: chat that, blah wait, blah blah blah." Hold blah. on. Our Our Teams product is Stack Overflow for Teams. Correct. Okay. Uh, Come on, then. Come on. We're doing this here. Let's yeah, get, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's Let's stop pretending that this is something it isn't. No, no, no. I,
1: but I'm not trying to sell the product right now. There will be an okay. interlude
3: somewhere in this podcast. Because okay, we, we all know what this is, including for the audience. Teams. Yeah.
2: Stack Overflow
3: for teams. That's right. Yeah, stack Overflow for Teens. teams. Stack Overflow for teams. I'm so ready. <laughs> but then the, the point of the talk is supposed to be how to build it. Because you're a loser. So I made it through I mean, it's the same as 12 right. slides.
1: I made it through 12 of 24 slides. And then I get to this slide, ASP.NET Core, SQL Server, TypeScript, no frameworks, Redis. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is the point where I can't continue to fake it. And I was like, God, I wish Sarah was here. And then Sarah was like, I'm here. And everybody was oh like,
3: God. That's good. It was good. It was okay, a good first model. of all, we, we got to just back it out a little bit. ASP.net. It's not a snake. ASP.net
2: that's
1: was how I would have pronounced it if I had to. I didn't even catch that. If I, I had to do Asp. the presentation. Asp. So I'm glad I didn't have to do
3: it. Oh boy.
1: Ac- I'm
2: going to get a pet snake name and it name ASP. 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 Asp.
3: <laughs> Active server snake. <laughs> <laughs> um what is asp is Active server pages right it
2: is what did it, you ever do one of those
3: i did something very similar known as php for quite a while
2: mm, but never, I, I never that. got
3: into anything that had a .Net at
2: the end just like as an aside uh i met someone last night who was like at bell labs and they worked on like the original unix and i was like oh you're an old programmer you should be friends with paul
3: Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I actually said the same thing to that's, that guy. Really? Who, I, said,
1: I said, you should come on the podcast. Paul would love to talk to you. It is true. I, I, I do like ye olden programmers. Um, We're going to have Tyrone I like on the podcast. I oh, like, great. Yes. Wait, who? Tyrone. Uh, he
2: runs the meetup that we have Runs the now.
1: meetup, which was like a people of color code meetup. And he runs like several meetups. Yeah. He's been doing Unix and Linux for 30 years. He was at Bell Labs. And then... He was like, and then I went to a bank and created
3: derivatives and ruined the world. But anyway, let's talk about coding. <laughs> There's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what are we, what is, what is today? What are we doing? Uh, oh, beautiful view. It's a pretty day. It's a pretty day. And we're here out. to talk about quantum supremacy. Oh
2: my yeah. God. Can someone talk to me about quantum supremacy? Well,
3: I, here was my idea and I think we should definitely make an effort you and I should try to explain what quantum computing is okay. because it'll entertain our audience <laughs> <laughs> and then we should actually go and use stack to figure out what the hell is happening
2: if I do that people are gonna yell at me on the internet no
3: because you' we're just gonna we're gonna be vulnerable in public because okay. <laughs> no, this ha- people ask me from time to time because they're like you explain things about code and I'm like yeah I mean my kind of co- like what are you talking about yeah so first of all here's what I do know it looks like Google has achieved quantum supremacy this sounds terrifying
2: it really yeah. does. Sounds
3: like robot overlord time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, for some reason the other day I woke up and all I could think was how would a Kennedy pronounce quantum? And would it be quantum <laughs> or would it be quantum? Quantum supremacy. Everybody, yeah, I think. Quantum like, supremacy. We have achieved quantum supremacy. I mean <laughs> Well, actually, that was what I was thinking too, Is like this was a
1: it was leaked out of NASA, right? By that's right, accident. That's right. They were like doing it in a partnership with them or something. Yeah, it was a so <laughs> the, <laughs> The actual developer story is who was the web developer at
3: NASA who accidentally published this yeah, paper when they, exactly. it was not yet ready. Now, instead of quantum <laughs> supremacy, let's talk about content management. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. I do understand. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, there are a lot of ways to not publish that PDF, friends. Yeah. Uh,
1: but when you say quantum supremacy, it does sound, sort of sound space-racy. Like, we're, okay. we've done it. You can't mess with us now. We can crack all the ciphers. We can make all the Bitcoin. Like, everybody stand
3: back. All that's really going on here. <laughs> so my understanding from reading articles in places like Vice um, yes. is that, so quantum computing is a thing that, again, let's not even try to explain it, but there's a way of, uh, oh God.
2: Here's how I think of it. Here's how I think of it. Like sometimes there are real computers doing like things like ones and zeros, but imagine if there were pretend computers doing that as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: <laughs> Hold
3: on. <laughs> you guys missed it but Sarah just ate a
1: weed gummy in the middle no that was a Schrodinger's cat kind of thing right one of the computers is alive and one of
3: them is dead but you don't know which one and they can exist at the same
1: time but
2: they're pretend
3: I'm on year year 20 of not understanding quantum computing and it is like you just sort of lean into the microphone and say superpositions. yeah
1: (laughs) I think here's my explanation. So we were doing this before. You know, the normal computer has ones and zeros, can Mm -hmm. flip the light switches Mm -hmm. really fast, Mm -hmm. but there's certain things that would just take it forever. The quantum computer has qubits, which are both ones and zeros at the same time magically, and that Mm. means for whatever reason it can solve a problem in a day that would take a normal computer 50,000 years, Hence, you can do things like crack all these cryptographic hashes and make all the Bitcoin, right? That's right.
2: Wow, so, Ben just explained quantum computing to me in a way I could really understand.
1: <laughs> this is just like the press release is scheduled for Monday. We were supposed to publish in Nature and accidentally on Friday, the webmaster. That's a bad day around. at NASA. You're,
3: that is <laughs> yeah. not a good
1: scene. Wait, when you're like,
2: NASA's a webmaster?
3: <laughs> they probably do, actually. Yeah, they do. yeah, that job's probably been there for like 24 years. <laughs> yeah. um, there are still webmasters in the world, and I. Salute you, webmasters! <laughs> but that's what happened. They accidentally
1: published a web page. The Financial Times, you know, just has an RSS feed that picks yeah. it all up, and they were like, "What quantum
3: supremacy?" and Ba-ba! ran with it. Yeah, you
1: know what the problem and then is here? They took the web page down.
2: Continuous integration.
3: That's right. Kill that's it. right. Or yeah. just, just update the CMS and do pub- a scheduled publishing module. But regardless, <laughs> um, so this is, a, this is a big deal in a very abstract way that won't actually affect most of our lives. Unless, like, suddenly, now that, they, now that this is unlocked, I mean, there'll be more energy and time on it. Maybe there'll be some, some real progress and uh, we'll be able to, you know, factor a whole bunch of large primes. Or whatever the hell it is that they're going to do to break all the, the cryptography. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Bitcoin, what is what is how does Stack explain anything quantum? There is like a what is there's like a the whole quantum Stack, right?
1: Yes, there's a yeah. whole uh, be honest,
3: Stack Exchange. I don't spend a lot of
1: time there. Quantum computing uh um, is it
3: quantumcomputing.stackexchange.com?
1: It is quantumcomputing.stackexchange.com. Why does entanglement not increase the classical capacity of a channel? Mm. I mean, this is yeah. It sounds like you know science fiction because there's questions like. Evaluate the following teleportation equation as if teleportation, you know, is a thing that normal thing. Thing that people just well, normally do. So the most upvoted question ever on this stack exchange okay. is quantum computing just pie in the sky? Asked one
3: year and three months ago. We
2: What's know now we
1: now
3: know the answer is no. But when you hear that, do you hear the song I in the sky by Alan Parsons Project? <laughs> nope. No, nobody else does. Nope. Just me. I but, am the pie in the sky. Yeah, when this question was answered a year
1: ago, it says so far it's looking this way. We have been reaching for this pie aggressively over the last three decades, but with not much success. We do have quantum computers now, but they are not the pie we wanted, (laughs) which is a computer that can actually solve a problem faster or with better energy efficiency than a classical computer.
3: It's not the pie in the sky. Okay, so that is... So, okay, a whole new way of seeing and understanding computing has shown up. And this is a podcast that celebrates, because here we are with Stack, not knowing the answer to anything. Totally. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, if you're out there and you're going, what the hell is all this quantum computing? And and trust me, having followed this on and off for, for a long time and refused to really understand it, as I see journalists writing about it, mm. I know for a fact they don't really understand it either. Yeah. So we're all going to get there together over the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, Like Bitcoin. Well, now, see, this is a real thing (laughs) that relates to (laughs) physics as opposed to a fake thing that relates to bugs in human consciousness. (laughs) And so
0: (laughs) every time you say buy Bitcoin, I'm
3: just going to go fight global warming. It's just... Hey, everybody. We have a
1: great guest with us uh, here in the studio this week, Clive Thompson, journalist, developer, musician, and author of the recent book, Coders. Paul,
3: you know Clive. I'm going to let you two kick it off. You wrote a book about code called Coders. Yeah, yeah
0: programmers. Programmers. How many interviews did you do for the book? Oh, my God. I mean, someone asked me this, so I actually went into my database Mm -hmm. and tried to look at it. Okay, that's a tell. There we go, tell. I would say for the book, I did about 200 interviews with developers that ranged from the kind of, like, fully I'm shadowing them for a day, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, down to, like, we talked for an hour, you Mm -hmm. know, on the phone, down to I was at a company and I was like hanging out with them and running into ones going, Hey, can we talk in depth for half an hour here?
3: Clive, do you want to know my worst nightmare? What? Having to talk to 200 developers. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what most of them said to me. Actually, I said, you, you know,
3: Develop- It is true as a community. Sorry. You probably agree. Like we are aware of
0: how exhausting we are.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely very true. That's definitely, I've definitely talked to 200 developers. A week.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think the only other people I, I that were in that wheelhouse were, um, you know, high up managers and, you know, product leaders who would be like, oh, yeah, I have 40 people that yeah. I talk to all week long. They're all developers. And, you know, you, you that's why you have to pay me this much money, right? You know? I, you know, I mean, the reality is. I still love talking to developers. Yeah. there's nobody. There's nobody like developers.
2: Can you share some of the interesting conversations you had?
0: Yeah. You know, I I would say all my favorite conversations were often about bugs and really, really bad bugs. Because one of the the ways to get even like the most, you know, kind of shoegazing developer to talk for hours and to like in that Howard Cosell way, you know, unburden their emotional lives is to say, so what's... It's like, the worst bug you've dealt with here? <laughs> and, like, like, they'll light up, you know, because, like, I mean, it's kind of waiting for someone to yeah, ask them that. Like, no this, one this, does. Something that tortured them. It like, a, And some of these ones went on for, like, you know, some of them were, like, you know, they were done in a day. They were really bad, but they were done. Some of them took weeks. Some took years. Some... Some were literally never were solved and destroyed the corporation. Right? Like, like. There's an Ellen Ullman novel called there is The Bug. The Bug, exactly. No, that's sort of where I got the idea from because I love that novel. Mm-hmm. Ellen Ullman is just literally one of the best writers on software, kind of ever in nonfiction too. Right? Agreed. She just writes amazing essays and that story about the bug has sort of it, it became a kind of a useful way to think about you know the narrative value of bugs right mm-hmm. because uh, it's a detective story you know it's mm-hmm. like it's like mm-hmm. there was this mystery and i am the detective and i'm fig- and i'm looking for the clues and yeah, so there were there was like Rob Spector, this wonderful developer for. Um, when I met him, he would I think he just finished working for Twilio. He was hired to work for this. I game. Know, yeah,
2: he's great. Yeah, yeah. he's great.
0: He, he was hard to work for this game company in the nineties or early nineties or early aughts, late nineties or early aughts, and it was doing one of these multi multiplayer games back when the state of the art in that was pretty ragged. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't really know how to do it reliably, and they had just created a. T- Terrible engineering for it. It had like it was what you would now call you know microservices. Like a lot of, mm. uh, but it was not organized like well, over-architected and they were all allowed to like write each other's memory. So like <laughs> it was just it was a completely memory unsafe nightmare. And they had this one this one bug that they could never figure out, and it killed the company. They never launched the game. Wow. Like They wrestled with it for years. Wow. And they never they never got that game to have more than one hundred people live at the same time. Wow. Wow. Never
1: figured out meaning like they couldn't. Identify the
0: source or they couldn't solve it without having to rebuild everything uh they literally couldn't no one could figure wow. out in the hairball of code what was causing it like yeah. Like, yeah. Like, the, like most like you're right there are times when they can figure out the source and they're like all right we 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 are stuck here because like we cannot re-engineer the code base to fix this, so let's just cover it with a, a layer of dirt and like and and like and like a like a like a, like a switch case that's seventeen feet long you know, <laughs> but no this one that was literally like it was a mystery, and they just all like just Walked away. That's See, so
2: great. Is- That's. Great. And
0: sometimes the stories are like kind of funny. Like, there's a story the team that did uh, Code for America that did this um, amazing project on food stamps for um, San Francisco and then for California. You know, they created this amazing app that allowed people to to apply much more easily for food stamps. It used to be like this 45 page nightmare of unresponsive mm-hmm. pages that was useless on the inexpensive phones that the average person would use. They re engineered it. Then, for like just for fun, they're like, hey, let's make it so you can check your food stamp balance. Like with a text message, because up until then it was this—you had to, this phone tree, you had to go mm-hmm. through, and it was really a pain in the butt. Everyone hates phone trees, so they they create this, and then they're like, "Hey, this works really well." And they they take out Facebook ads saying, "You can check your food stamp balance," right? And then the lead engineer goes off to Fiji for the weekend, or for a week, I guess. And in the middle of it, suddenly this process starts firing. Instead of like 100 times a day, it starts firing like thousands of times, like a minute, basically. Mm. And they can't figure what's going on. And, they're, and it's going to like drown out their budget for like for SMS messages. And finally, when they realized what happened was that someone had taken the phone number that you're supposed to text and inputted that as the thing texted to the service. Right, they texted the services own phone number instead of instead of texting. Here is my food stamp number, uh-huh. and give me back my my, my my amount. They texted the phone number to the phone number, just wow. set up an and it just set up an loop. infinite oh, loop of texting itself. Like they they had they, in that classic sense, they had not predicted something weird that a user would do, and the user broke the system. <laughs> and over and over again, I heard stories of that. Like, yeah, we. We, we thought of, like, the 5,000 weird use cases, and we didn't predict 5,001, and everything went into a tower of flames, basically. When, and we when you were up. talking to
1: Joel earlier, you guys were talking about what are the on-ramps and how more and more there yeah. are these
0: new cultural on-ramps.
1: One of the great ones that I think Sarah and I have been seeing a bunch of is people live coding on Twitch, and then you can follow along yeah. and learn from them. Okay. People have been doing live question-answer sessions for Stack Overflow questions, and that's such a cool one because, like, that looking over the shoulder thing was never possible, you know, five,
3: ten years ago. That nobody was doing fail. it like yeah. that. You yeah. know what's changed? It used to be a slower process with uh, trial and error. Sometimes, you know, you'd wait for the compile, and it took forever, and it required people to kind of focus on one relatively abstract task for 20 days at a time. That's right. Now we are slinging code all over the place. It is yeah. like, I got my windowing toolkit, and I'm going to make my React components, blah, 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 build yep. a web app in two hours. Look at me! <laughs> yeah. And like... That, so culturally, and I think a vast amount of the work day to day happens at that layer now. Totally. As opposed to like, I'm going to write my own streaming file system or just whatever the hell, like I just put two words together there. But like, (laughs) you know, something really, the lower level stuff you don't need that much of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Bram Cohen, actually, the guy that did Bitcoin, Bram and I were hanging out and uh, he was saying, yeah, it's so weird watching. And he's not that old, but he's in his 40s, I guess, um, watching the generation of coders that you know he hires. And he has to have really good people because he's working on hardcore stuff. But nonetheless, he's like, yeah, you know, back in the 90s, you had to write everything yourself. It's like, oh, I need yep. a server. Mm-hmm. I'd Let me write server yeah. code myself. And now he's like, you know, you, there's like a library for kind of everything. Mm-hmm. So m- many more of these developers are just enormously skilled at being able to understand what are the capabilities at hand and how to stitch them together. Mm, right. And that stitching and, and their understanding of what you can do with that becomes kind of the magic. And I, gotta, I think that's true.
1: we got to bring Joel on for this one next time. Because that was his whole thing was he was like, kids today. They're yeah. just they're just taping things together. They don't know how to build from first principles. That's why I'm going back to Arduino. Right, exactly. You know. The big
3: foundation, well, look, there's a true joy in messing around. Like Sarah probably at this table has done the most messing around with that layer yeah. He said it's really hard.
2: It is really hard. It's really easy in the beginning. Like, you turn a light on and you're like, I'm a god. Right, like, yeah, I've yeah, done this yeah. amazing Blinked thing. Oh, yeah. 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 And then you have to do anything at scale. And it turns out to be like the hardest thing in the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like, turning on a light with Arduino is too easy. Yeah. It's kind of like the Ruby Hello world where you're like, oh, I can do anything in this. I'm a
3: programmer
1: now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah.
2: actually, no, you can just make a mess. Yeah.
1: yeah. And plus, yeah. like, you're learning how to do those things and you've done it with your prototype. But then it's like, will this work
3: when I manufacture
2: a yeah. thousand
0: of them? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Scale, this is, scale changes everything. This
2: yep.
3: is eternal drama, though, because it's like, who's a real programmer? Is this foundational question built True. into all this? Because mm. there's this legendary textbook called "The Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs," also known as SICP, which is a, I hate saying out that loud. Yeah, no, it's, no. Oh, <laughs> but it was the MIT, I think, six electrical engineering class yeah. textbook, and it taught you Scheme, the language Scheme, mm. uh, which is, if people don't know it, it's it's a lot. It's based on Lisp. And it taught you everything in sort of like recursive functions. This is a short book. It's so dense. I've made it to chapter two and a half. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> they'll be like, oh, hey. You'll be like, oh, this is cool. I'm learning so much. And they'll be like, let's recursively uh, calculate Ackerman's function. And you're like, oh, cool. Let's do that. And then they're like, yeah, we'll make a <laughs> compiler. And it's like, "You just what the hell is happening? Yeah. So it's this very dense, very amazing book that completely defined computer science at MIT for like 25 years. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to do this in Python. And people lost their minds. Yeah. They were just like, what? No, you're gonna take away a scheme. But they're like, this isn't how it works anymore. Like you get up, you glue stuff
0: together, you move robots around. Yeah. Like you're you're assembling things out of the world rather than starting from first principle. Well and and I, I talked to all these developers from the nineties who like had to think incredibly hard about the um, you know, the, the read-write capacities of servers spinning mm. servers right yeah. and like there were like it was nothing but race conditions you know That's they true. were just mm, constantly yeah. thinking about race conditions and they became just amazing in that matrix-like way of being able to at, stare at a, at, a, at a log error and go, all right, race condition here, 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 here fix that. And that's those skills are completely unnecessary now. Yeah. Unless
3: you're Amazon yeah. and Google, it still matters a little bit. Like like where yeah. you have a billion pieces of hardware and getting sure. yeah. 1% performance increase by taking into account the way the, the hard drive is spinning because you're still using spinning rust over here. Right. Like, but, but yeah, you probably only need a couple hundred of those people. Or if yeah. you're
0: like Google and you're creating Spanner to sort of manage time across the Planet, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. But uh, but this point about who's a real programmer and and coding and you know Ben going back to this thing of like you know Joel being interested in the Arduino because that's that's real code. You know, there's no libraries in, or there's fewer libraries. You're exactly right, Paul. This is like the one of the foundational fights in development because like back in the really early days when you know Grace Hopper is writing some of the first compilers and trying to create some of the first languages, like her, her before COBOL, the language she created was. It was the best name ever it's called flomatic i love that uh, f l o w hyphen matic i'm like yeah. oh my god i wish that still existed so so she's making this and like it's it's causing a huge fight amongst the, that early and very small world developers mm. are like, no, 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 we have to be writing in assembly and like maybe mm. even in binary because, you know, we won't understand what the machine is doing. You're going to create a generation of coders who don't really understand the machine <laughs> oh, if you God. create these languages that, you know, are compiled. So yeah, the, the very years idea years of compilers seemed like, Cheating, base. And yeah. what was fascinating about that, this is from that Great Slate article, is that she was doing
1: it so that they could broaden the user base, right? So yeah, that exactly. all these stuffy yep. military suits who wanted to get into computers and yep. maybe learn some more about atomic weaponry will be able to do it in yep. plain language.
2: One thing I think all the services and the abstractions has created is a really difficult world for – it's made it even more difficult for ICs to advance and stay ICs. It's because it's like not
3: everybody is individual contributor,
2: individual contributor, like meaning
3: programmer who works,
2: <laughs> yeah, programmer, not who works. a manager, yeah. yeah. Because it used to be you would, you know, go into architecture and get really deep, and now it's just like use Kubernetes, like, yep. yeah, like there's not, watch the video, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're not dealing so much with memory and like server allocation, like, all that stuff is done for you, so you don't need someone at work to do that, yeah. So it's like, yeah.
3: You know, what's baffling to me is how much software information, Kubernetes, enterprise software demos is all on YouTube. Like it, de- it's such a lore-driven and stand-up and talk-driven culture now, right. and it's kind of the only way to keep up.
0: The phenomena of people learning stuff like via a video is really interesting, though, because like, so I encounter this a lot. You know, in the, in the book too, like you know, a people learning stuff now by t- encoding by turning to a video as opposed to a book, mm-hmm. um, and b people upon deciding they want to teach other people something in coding, going, well, I'm going to do a Twitch stream or I'm going to do a video, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to write a, like an O'Reilly book anymore, right? Yeah. You sort of want to see what is going to happen on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like you can mm-hmm. sort of read the guide, but like, watching the blizzard of weird stuff and error messages that you're actually supposed to ignore because they're going ha- to occur every time and they're meaningless is actually really useful when you're trying to, when you're trying to do something.
3: All right, <laughs> so this book came out a little while ago.
0: Yeah, it came out this spring, yeah. What have you learned since it came out? What oh, is- boy. Uh, what have I learned since... Yeah, you, do, you, book you write the like, book? Yeah, yeah. The reaction is different between programmers and non-programmers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in one sense, the no- non-programmers are sort of fascinated by the fact that like, they didn't realize that I do a bunch of hobbyist coding myself, right? Mm-hmm. And particularly when they discover that I write a lot of scripts and apps just for use in my own journalism. So there's this kind of funny reaction from people that don't do software. There's a whole bunch of people who actually were really happy the book existed because they have a... Partner or a parent or a child who's a developer, and they're like, "Oh, oh they my god, thank you it. for explaining all this." Giving <laughs> oh, is um, safe. Yeah. Yes, I, I just bought nine <laughs> copies of your books to hand out to everyone in the family. Uh, um, developers are, are are a much funnier and uh, and pricklier audience. Do as they fight with imagine. you about your book? So um, Well, I mean, like like again, I would say it's it's a it's a bimodal response. Half of them are like, "Thank you." For mm-hmm. writing this, because it was actually nice to have something that I can hand to my partners oh, so and my children or my parents and say, "Here is what's going on." So they're they're really happy that I wrote it from the perspective of someone who actually likes and finds the the art and craft and technical stuff admirable. Right? You know, whenever I'm sort of talking about the, the politics and, and civic impact or you know the problems in the world of development, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that it's systemically sealed out anyone except for like neckbearded white dudes for a long time, yeah. there's a strong reaction against that. You know, like to their credit, I suppose they'll write this review that's like, this is all grievance nonsense, but wow, he seems to he the chapters where he wrote about bugs are fantastic <laughs> right, like, like, right, they're, right, right. Like, like they're sort of they're against against maybe their own desires they right. actually like the chunks of the book that are just purely Raleigh of no, I like the, the part about the cooking.
3: giant storm, but the global warming stuff is a little too much yeah, exactly yeah. that's
1: so fascinating because I mean, I think that's one of the higher order challenges we have here, right is that we continue to be a place where people love to come, to ask yep. and to answer uh-huh. questions and to share mm. knowledge. And we're struggling to make the community more diverse and inclusive. And a lot of people just say, stop doing that. We don't right. need to work on that. Right. Let's I'm get annoying. back to our knitting. Like, you're yeah. annoying us.
0: Well, and, and the weird thing is this. It's like, so the contention of this latter group is that, you know, no social barriers exist. This is like, this is a, an area of pure merit, right? Mm. And of course they actually do. Uh, but what And what they're doing is they're sealing out the people who actually – love the same things that the guys inside love. Like, they, they actually love the actual real feeling of merit, the idea that we, are, yeah. you have to wrestle with the silicon beast and get it to do exactly what you want. They love that feeling, that challenge, and the feeling of control that comes from it. And, you know, they actually, my God, you know, systemically subaltern groups are looking for nothing more than an area where actual merit really a- applies. Yeah. And so this is so delightful this world exists. They want exactly what these guys also sort of want, if, if, everyone, if, they, you know, if everyone could just recognize that there's these social problems that are everywhere else in society that yeah. we have to get rid of, then this world is just an amazing world that everyone who touches loves, right? Okay, great. Thanks, everybody.
1: Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Stack Overflow for Teams. The folks you work with have questions and they have answers. Stack Overflow for Teams connects the two. It's just like stackoverflow.com, the website you know and love, but it's an internal tool for your proprietary information only. Right now, you can head over to stackoverflow.blog/podcast and find a link to try it out, 25 seats free. So, if you're a small startup or a mid-sized company with 25 engineers, you can try out Stack Overflow for Teams at no cost. Just head on over to stackoverflow.blog/podcast. So at the talk last night, Ian went first. Mm. And he was talking about like what of the popular. Ian is the developer here at developer here. Great story about Ian. He was working as like a social worker. It's a shame this guy doesn't have a last name. You just name. make that. <laughs> Ian Allen was working as a social worker, had no computer science training, but was in a basketball fantasy league and was like, I'm tired of losing. And Googled around and found some like interesting coding approaches and mm. won the fantasy league that year. And then he was like, <laughs> so all great. right,
3: this is it. My new career is here. Yeah. I love when they reach inside and find the nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, it's, yeah. it's literally opposite of like every teen movie where like the plain girl gets her hair done and is suddenly really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just like, I'm a cool social worker who's a friend and a helper, but yeah. I really want to And I'm win. popular
2: and I have lots of friends that That's want me right. in this fantasy basketball league. But
3: yeah. I want to win. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Lost many friends, won the That's fantasy right. league. And then just, there's this one day they wake up and they're like, I'm an excellent fantasy sports <laughs> player. And you're just like, but what happened, Ian? What happened? And here he is at Stack. Totally.
1: No,
2: oh. he,
3: he, was
1: like, he, he was like, I started going around and then all of a sudden it was like flow state. I was like spending days, you know, designing little routines to help me crunch the data on the fantasy league. And I was like, I actually kind of like this version of me where Ooh. I don't talk to other people. I just hang out in my room all day. And it's like, well,
3: cool. Like you got the, the, you're bit by the bug. Ben, you're fascinating because you're right on the threshold. You're like, I'm a journalist. I talk to people successful person, also MMA fighter. Mm, okay, mm. right down the middle. And right. it was like, which way is he going to go? Is he going to go cool? Or is he going to come to Stack Overflow and learn how to program? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's really cool. One of us. Uh,
2: <laughs> I made
1: it all the way through the uh, JavaScript tutorial, and I'm
3: halfway mm. through the basic CSS.
2: Oh, man. And CSS so...
3: is a plate of scrambled eggs. It makes no sense. JavaScript, yeah. you're like, okay, this is confusing. I but love it seems that to analogy,
2: so. a plate of scrambled eggs. Because oh, yeah. you're just
3: yeah. like, A feeds into B feeds into C, and then everybody's like, oh, you know, your divs have to burr, burr, burr," and you're just like, what, where?
2: Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense at all. It's really hard my to My favorite bug. talk is a talk, um, well, one of my top ten favorite talks is a talk that Jacob Thornton gave called Cascading Shit Show which is, you can find it online, and it's just all about how CSS was started and just, like, the news groups in the 90s of people saying dumb things. Yeah. Just, like, reading out loud those emails. It's <laughs> hilarious. It's an amazing talk.
3: I mean, like, and then there's there's people like Eric Mayer who sort of bring, yeah. bring calm to the chaos. And, yeah. And there there's a valid reason for it. It's just that, we have too many things that are programming languages to, to choose from. And then yeah. the world's too flexible. And there should be a one guiding government that runs everything around technology. That's what <laughs> I think. Um, no, I mean, this it's is,
2: called the W3C.
3: Yeah, and that doesn't work either. This is what happens when you allow people to make decisions as a culture and try to drive things forward. And it just it, sometimes it's a little messy.
1: Wait, isn't there? There are like silly governing bodies that like decide on the new
3: emoji that gets created,
2: right? Oh, yeah. God,
1: like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no,
3: everything.
2: Listen, <laughs> and if you could, they don't think they're silly. Really? Yeah, you no, no, think no. there's. Yeah, if well, ever yeah. want to do, I like, mean, I also think there's. If you ever
3: want to do like a thirty-six hour emergency podcast, just let's talk standards sometimes. <laughs> that is, because like, it's where it all comes from. It's the, the they're these secret governing bodies, and they're not secret. They're just they're only secret because you just don't even want to know about it, right? But yeah, like emoji, somebody has to say when I hit Alt Shift Seven R C N that like something will happen. I mean, the thing about CSS that I feel like
1: is a little bit useful in terms of thinking about what it's like to be a programmer is when I was doing the HTML one, it just felt like there were keywords that you needed to memorize mm. in order to Not change. Not much debugging. Yeah. But with CSS, there is that sense that you were saying before of, like, if I give a higher order command, it can have these cascading effects, which, you know, I can use to my advantage to automate Mm. things and to give a certain sense of efficiency in a way that means I don't have to keep coming back and doing another P tag or whatever.
3: I mean, this is what's tricky. CSS is a declarative language, right? You say here are some facts, and then the browser is supposed to interpret those facts about how things should look and interact. And mm. then it's supposed to take that and make sensible decisions and, and sort of show show you a, a much different-looking version of a page than you'd normally see. But it's hard. It actually turns out that imperative, like, modular languages are a little easier to keep in your head than sets of large sets of rules.
2: Yeah, I think there's no syntactic sugar in CSS. No, like, and that's why there's all these like
3: less and SAS and sort of all these yeah. different preprocessors that make it more like programming. Yeah. I mean, let it be nested and sort of all that stuff.
2: My best friend in the world is a huge CSS fan. I have two best friends in the world. Both of them like CSS, but one's a huge fan. And whenever we get, literally, the way I pick a fight with her is I just say, CSS Grid is tables. <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: Sarah, be gone. CSS Grid is great,
2: it's tables. The
3: end. It's... No! <laughs> no! If we say... No, no. The whole edifice comes down if you say it. No, trust me. Trust me. And I've done it but all your in tables. I complaints to
2: Brenda Storer on <laughs> Twitter. No, no,
3: no. CSS Grid is good. Everyone should... Get, if you don't know CSS Grid, you should go learn it. It is actually pretty cool. I don't think
2: it's bad. I just think it's tables.
3: It's not
2: tables.
3: <laughs> Hold on. I do have a... I have a tweet from back in the day. When faced with vertical aligned CSS challenge, always remember to do your utmost. U T M O S T. Use tables. Move on. Save time. (laughs) And I I tweeted that, and not
2: everyone agrees. I love that. Do your utmost.
3: (laughs) Use tables. Move on. Save time. Um, That's not what I believe in my heart. I believe that good semantic. Um, nicely orchestrated markup is the right way forward, and it helps with accessibility and overall makes the web more usable across
1: and different media. And columns and
2: rows, it comes, it turns out. No, well.
3: All right,
1: it's that time. We're going to shout out our lifeboaters of the week. These are folks who found a question with a score of negative three or less. They went in and gave an answer, and now that question has a score of 20 or more. So thank you for saving these questions and spreading some knowledge. Our first award goes to Panag Sanketi. Can ML Kit for Firebase be used for handwritten text? Our next goes to, and I know I'm going to butcher your name, so I apologize, Ojanugu Ochilufu for answering the question, display HTML form values in the same page after submit. And last, a shout out to Gabriel, a pretty new user with 201 rep, how to open a huge SQL file. Great questions, great answers. Thanks to all our lifeboaters of the week. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Popper. You can find me at Ben Popper on Twitter. I'm the director
3: of content at Stack Overflow.
2: Hi, I'm Sarah Chips. Thanks for listening. I am the director of public Q&A here at Stack Overflow and Sarah J. Chips on Twitter.com.
3: I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of Postlight, a digital product studio. If you need me, send an email, paul.ford at postlight.com, or you can find me on Twitter at, at
0: F-Train. And I'm Clive Thompson. I am the author of Coders, The Making of a New Tribe, and The Remaking of the World. I am Pomeranian99 on Twitter. There's a story behind that for another, another time. Uh, and I write for the New York Times Magazine and for Wired.
1: Awesome. Thanks for coming
0: on.
2: Is this story that you have 99 Pomeranians? <laughs> <laughs>